0: Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. We made it to another Friday, and that means it's time to get caught up on everything from the week that was. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. Mayor Lori Lightfoot may be in hot water. The city's Board of Ethics yesterday appeared to refer a case against Mayor Lori Lightfoot's re-election campaign to the city's inspectors general. UIC faculty ended their strike. Classes will be back on today as UIC officials announced the school has reached a tentative agreement with faculty and staff. And the Illinois assault weapons ban faces challengers. The NRA this week filing a lawsuit against the state of Illinois over
1: its newest gun law bill.
0: We've got a lot to talk about, so let's jump right in. Here to help us make sense of the week's news is Brandis Friedman, co-anchor and correspondent of WTTW's Chicago Tonight, WBEZ state politics reporter Dave McKinney, and John Chase, deputy metro editor for the Chicago Tribune. All right, early voting for the upcoming mayoral election began yesterday. Brandis, what are the latest polls showing? So earlier this week,
2: uh, Cranes reported that uh, polling from Mayor Lightfoot's campaign shows that she has slipped just a bit, right? Like one percentage point, but showing Paul Vallis gaining on her by a good bit, right? Gaining about 8 percent or so and putting them in, I think, what's called a statistical tie, basically. So she is at 25 percent in this poll and he is at 22 percent. It's got Chua Garcia at 18 percent. Uh, and, and interesting. Yeah. And and of course, you know, I think the other thing that's interesting about the timing of this poll is uh, this story names that this poll was done before Chuy Garcia's ads started airing on television. Um, and then that happened afterwards. And then there's a bit of controversy about that that I think we'll probably get to later we on. Shall. So I'm curious about the impact of the next poll.
0: Well, Paul Vallis is no stranger to running for public office. So did any of you expect him to be doing this well, though, in the polls, Dave?
1: Well, I mean, he, he is a known commodity in Chicago. I mean, he, you know, back to his days as a revenue, uh, you know, budget director for the, at City Hall. And then he ran CPS for a number of years. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he, he's got name recognition. And this and, is
0: for whatever polls are worth. Correct. correct. Exactly. And, and, you
1: know, he's got backing from the, uh, you know, from the, the police. So, I mean, it's, it's a, you know, I'm not surprised that he's doing it. He's articulate. He knows, he knows the city budget and city finances in and out.
3: Yeah, yeah um, just to add on that, I mean, he has been running a, a number of times. He's also the only white candidate in this race. He's been running a little more conservative than he has before mm-hmm. um, for his previous runs. For for So he's very much in a lane. And so I can see why he's getting more traction than he has um, uh, in previous uh runs.
0: Yeah, our, our friends on YouTube are already chiming in. Chicago 675 says, I think Vallis is a lock to make the runoff. Brandon Johnson is surging. Chewy is falling. Lightfoot in major trouble. Wilson gets hurt with the black vote being split so many different ways, is what that person had to say online. I mean, with a crowded field of nine candidates, folks, what is the likelihood that any one of them will get that 50 percent that's necessary to avoid a runoff election?
2: It seems pretty likely, right? Like, it seems pretty likely that a runoff is going to have yeah. to happen. I don't know how Chicago voters um, can, can, can choose from, you know, such a wide field, right? And everybody, you know, 50 percent of voters are going to pick one person. It, it just doesn't seem obvious to me. Um, I, I, and I think, you know, based on – this is something that my colleague Paris Schutz said on, you know, Spotlight Politics on Wednesday night is that Lightfoot wants to be in a runoff with Paul Vallis. Um, because of like their, difference, their different stances on, um, on the police and kind of where they are, mm-hmm. and of course that Paul Vallis has the backing uh, of the Fraternal Order of Police, I think she probably believes that she can position herself to beat him. But she might be in some trouble if if she were up against someone else like Chewy Garcia.
0: Yeah. The mayoral challengers met up for another forum yesterday. John, what were some of the main takeaways from that?
3: Uh, well, as we've seen on a number of these forums, crime really does sort of take uh, center stage uh, in these um, debates. What was different about this uh, forum versus some of the others is you are starting to see Mayor Lightfoot be more aggressive. She's starting to go after her opponents. She went after Paul Vallis over some of the the same uh, topics we were just talking about, being too conservative, being more conservative than Chicago voters want, in her Mm -hmm. opinion. And also trying to uh, show that she's in the middle between Chewy Garcia and some of the other uh, more progressive candidates, and Vallis, and that she's the one actually addressing a lot of these issues. That seems to be the theme. Uh, she's calling chewie Garcia the OG uh, d- uh, defunder. Somebody, you know, she's trying to label him as a defund the police, um, while Paul Vallis is somebody who is lockstep with the FOP, mm-hmm. And she's the one in the middle actually trying to solve the problems.
0: To your point earlier, Brandis, uh, here's Jordan Novak on YouTube saying... Vallis making the runoff is great for whoever else makes the runoff. So <laughs> do with that what you may. So, Dave, we brought up crime a couple of times already. You did a deep dive this week into two of the issues that actually concern voters the most right now, crime being one of them, the economy being the other. What did you find out?
1: Well, yeah, because those two issues are very linked. I mean, here at WBEZ, we've we've embarked on this uh, initiative called the People's Agenda, and it's basically we've been engaging our listeners and 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 web viewers about what questions they would like to ask the mayoral field, and about a quarter of them uh, listed economic development as as their top issue, and so you know we 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 took a look at you know basically the economic conditions in the city. It's it's a mixed bag where you know our unemployment numbers are um, you know they're they're fair to middling. I mean there are other major cities across the country that are that are doing better than we are there. Um, but but, what we found by and large is that you know these candidates uh, you know they talk about in in order to restore vibrance to neighborhoods uh, to North Michigan Avenue, crime has to be brought under control and you know and that's it 's obvious for folks who have been on the magnificent mile and you look at the store the vacant storefronts, the boarded up windows, and such that 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 is an issue and and so some of the candidates have responded to it. J Maul Green came out with a plan the other day where uh, on, on North Michigan Avenue he talked about. Um, you know, uh, uh, creating a, a pedestrian bridge to Oak Street Beach, mm-hmm. to you know, various initiatives like that. So, so, but but by and large, you know, the, the crime issue is tied to economic development, and that's what we heard from folks.
0: Yeah. Well, Brandis, we can't talk about election season without talking about those political ads. So let, let's get into it because they're everywhere. And just hours after Chewy Garcia started running his first campaign <laughs> ad, it was pulled. He had to take it down. And it was altered. What was the problem with it? Go
2: on. So uh, in this ad, he is seen, you know, walking and talking with a couple of Chicago police officers. Who and we know that they are Chicago police officers because they're in uniform. they're not allowed to do that, uh, and so the police department has said that they're looking into that uh, and and you know it's important to point out the difference right because I think there are other political ads where you see candidates talking to cops, um but those are at more you know organic events right where just as people in their position they happen to be talking to cops and a camera happens to be rolling um versus an instance where uh, this walk and talk is happening. For the purposes of a political so ad a
0: scheduled commercial. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
2: So that goes up. Um, and a couple hours later, uh, he takes it down. He alters it to include just a shot of a, um, a Chicago police car uh, driving, I think, down Michigan Avenue um, and I- I instead. Um, but of course, it looks like, you know, the cops are, are looking into it and, you know, the candidates are, are using these ethics issues to toss them back and forth at each other as well.
0: Speaking of Congressman Garcia, he's also stepping down from the House's Influential Financial Services Committee. John, what's behind the choice there?
3: Well, uh, the Republicans took over the House, so that's one of the big reasons. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, yeah, no, and, and so it, uh, uh, the issue is he and Lori Lightfoot has made a big deal out of this. Uh, she, he took some money from Sam Bankman-Fried, um, both individually money he gave back and then Sam Bankman-Fried uh, over a, a crypt, uh, the head of a crypto uh, bankrupt uh, crypto and now indicted uh, crypto financier. He also spent almost $200,000 on uh, Chewy's can- uh, last congressional campaign, even though Chewy didn't have any opponents. So there was a lot of tea uh, reading, tea leaf reading going on here. Okay. Uh, so when he stepped down, people were like does this mean something more i think it's a pro- maybe a little bit of that but also a lot of the republicans took over and he was that was not a full formal role for him
0: that donation from sam bankman-fried how damaging might that be for his uh
3: well lori lightfoot's been it's been you were mentioning commercials that's been front and center in, in a number of her commercials i can um, almost
0: hear it in my head right yeah, now <laughs> exactly that
3: and mike Madigan. she's the word been crypto really crypto
0: crook is yes. just Etched in my brain. So also fun to say. Uh,
3: Yeah, Yeah. right. I mean, it it does raise questions. I don't know how much it really resonates with the average uh, voter. Yeah. Um, And so I think it's something to keep in mind. It's certainly important. It's important for us as journalists to keep, uh, you know, tabs and keep the candidates accountable on it. I'm not sure I'm hearing a lot of voters going, you know, well, what about that? That's really going to have an impact on, you know, on whether he's mayor or not. Again, sharing some comments from
0: voters online, our friends on YouTube. Uh, One person says, Vallis versus Chewy. That's a tight race. Another says, I feel like Chewy is just going through the motions. That campaign ad mistake is campaigning 101. How do you make that kind of mistake, they said. Uh, And another saying, uh, the fact that Lightfoot is lashing out at the other candidates instead of touting her own record and accomplishments, that says a lot. Uh, so we'll, again, do with that what we make. <laughs> we but there. turning to Lightfoot, uh, her re-election campaign, it's also being accused of ethical lapses. Brandi- Brandis, what's going on? You so, said they're going back and forth. So. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and not each of them, but, you know, they've,
2: they're finding these ethics issues, and they may be. Some of them are actually, obviously, ethics issues, but mm-hmm. they are certainly being used against them. Uh, in uh, Lightfoot's case, the Chicago Board of Ethics has ordered uh, an investigation asking both the city's inspector general as well as the Chicago Public Schools inspector general um, to look into this instance that my colleague at WTTW, Heather Sharon broke a couple of weeks ago with regard to her campaign um, emailing Chicago Public Schools teachers on their CPS edu email accounts um, asking that they enlist students to volunteer for the campaign in exchange for uh, in exchange for class credit. Um, and, and so, you know, we reported on this last night as well, just sort of like the, the timeline of when things went down, because the bigger question here is she defended it initially. She's like, you know, of course, we want to engage students and civic process and all of that. And within a couple of hours, they're like, OK, this was this was clearly a mistake yeah. and we should not have done that. Uh, so that's the, the ethics issue there. Um, I'm, I'm really curious about why she initially defended it, um, even though CPS, uh, once they learned of it that day, immediately reached out to the campaign because they're hearing from teachers who were like, what do I do here? Yeah. Um, immediately reaching out, saying this is inappropriate and please stop. Um, even after that happened, she was defending it up
0: until a couple hours later because there were three statements that came out from her campaign that night. (laughs) That day was... Trying to clean that up. That was incredible. Um, So let's not forget, voters are also going to be choosing their alder person on February 28th. Uh, 45th Ward Alderman Jim Gardner made news again this week, John. He's been coming under a lot of criticism. What's what's going
3: on? Yeah, well, he, of all the first-term aldermen, I would say he's had the most scandal plagued of them. So he's in the 45th Ward, which is the uh, northwest side. He's got five opponents. He's been—it's been, uh, been reported—he's under federal investigation. Um, It's—he's gotten a lot of uh, opponents who are basically calling him out for being petty. Uh, for using his power as alderman to withhold services mm-hmm. um, for uh, getting in the face of of some of his political opponents and their you know and, and their emissaries um, and so he 's once again dealing with these issues they keep on percolating you know day in and day out um, There was even a federal lawsuit where he was talking about exterminating all the rats uh, as he referred to them uh the people in his ward. Uh, who he doesn't who don't support him. So yeah. that's been it's going to be really one of the more interesting aldermanic races uh, for you know. In in I don't know whether we're going to that just like for the mayorals, that may mm-hmm. uh, lead to a runoff. But uh, on February twenty eighth, you know there are five opponents who are who are really coalescing around the fact that even if they agree with him or disagree with him on certain policies, his demeanor has been has been has sort of become. Front and center.
0: And no, we're talking the Aldermanic race, but still lots of chatter online about the mayor's race, of course. Jordan Novak says this mayoral race, like the one in 2019, highlights the fact that Chicago needs ranked choice voting. There is a less expensive and more democratic way of doing this. What are your thoughts, Dave? I don't know.
1: It, it's, it's, uh, th- this happens every time that we have, uh, you know, th- these, these huge fields of candidates. It's just a total crapshoot. And, <laughs> And And you know here with Lightfoot you know you, you have a you have an incumbent who you know isn't campaigning i think with the traditional advantages of incumbency, which is popularity and and so it's a struggle for her and and you know you look at these 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 uh, rivals of hers, and it's just it's just really hard hard to to gauge how this thing is going to go you know I, I can't I can't sit here today and tell you how this thing is going to go.
3: Yeah. One thing with ranked choice voting, just really quickly, sure. is it really is sort of brewing up. I mean, Evanston just uh, just approved um, uh, ranked choice voting for their next mayoral. Uh, Berwyn had a had a referendum um, in. I think it was in June, um, supporting it. So it is this thing that's percolating. It's definitely something to keep an eye on. And when you see these runoffs, the the number of people who participate, voters who participate, goes down dramatically. And yeah. that's one of the answers to that problem. Uh, lack of participation is ranked choice voting. So, so.
0: I want to turn to another story, and I'm, I'm looking back at you, Dave. After last weekend's mass shooting in Monterey Park, California, police here in Chicago, they're increasing security around the Lunar New Year celebrations. Has CPD received any actual threats, or are they just trying to be safe?
1: Well, uh, Sasha, so far, no. But, you know, the attacker in Monterey uh, Park, I mean, there there were no warnings there either. So they're they're trying to be prepared. Uh, They they put out a statement uh, saying that they're going to strengthen security um, for for the various events that stretch out over, you know, the next uh, couple of weeks. Uh, the, The Lunar New Year started on Sunday, and uh, you know, it's it's a it, it, you know Asian Americans across the country really are under siege in mm-hmm. a way, and and so
0: yeah, Asian anti Asian hate crimes, Dave, they, they've gone up fivefold in the last three years, and this is this is according to Chicago police data.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, so so folks in that community are understandably on edge, and and you know we've seen that uh, you know not only are our police trying to are intending to step up their presence to make it known to any of these would be folks out there that think that they can attack an event like this, that they're going to be there. I mean, the the, the organizers of, of uh, you know, uh, the Chinatown Special Events Committee, for example, you know, they are they're taking things into their hands as well and, and upping security as well. So they're they're all you know, it's a coordinated effort on the on the parts of the organizers and police to try to stave this off.
0: We're going to start with the ongoing legal challenges to Illinois' new assault weapons ban. The NRA has now joined the many gun rights activists already trying to block the ban. Dave, what's the latest there?
1: You know, basically the argument in in in, in all these venues is that this is a, an infringement on gun owners' Second Amendment rights. And, you know, in state court, these... Uh, uh, the litigation is you know before what i think are widely regarded as favorable judges in, in conservative parts of the state that you know tend to favor gun rights so i think you know it would not be surprising to see you know that be an adverse ruling for the for the those who support this law yeah. the federal court uh, litigation involving the nra is 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 more high stakes and you know i think the aim there is to get to get this in front of the, the U.S. Supreme Court now, which is is led by conservatives and, and is believed to have a more gun-friendly kind of tenor right now.
0: Here's what Governor Pritzker had to say about all these lawsuits.
1: They'll lose in the end. This is a constitutional law. It's been in effect in eight other states. An assault weapons ban will save lives.
0: What do you think, John? Is this law going to stand up to the legal challenges? Oh,
3: God, if I knew the answer to that.
0: <laughs> um, Where's your crystal
3: ball? <laughs> I, it, they, they did <laughs> They uh, base this off of other states. Um, I do think this is brewing up now, though, for, as Dave was saying, you know— it, we're going to get an answer from the courts. It's going to be state and federal, and eventually, I think, we'll, we very well may see it at the U.S. Supreme Court, whether that's before January 1st when this law uh, goes into effect, or much of this law goes into effect, remains to be seen. Um, but you know, the, the law passing wasn't a shock, and certainly the lawsuits are not a shock, and we're going to keep seeing them. I imagine they'll be coalesced into one sort of very strong case, um, or, you know, uh, to be to be adjudicated. Um, And you've got some lawyers, you know, Chicago has a history of, you know, there's a major Supreme Court case that came out of Chicago, which dealing with handgun and gun, gun control, which gun control advocates lost, and some of the lawyers involved in that case are getting active in this one, too. So it'll be really interesting to see how it plays out.
2: And can I just say, like, you know, just a couple of minutes ago, we were having a conversation about like these, you know, terrifying mass shootings uh, that are happening and Chicago police stepping up um, around uh, Lunar New Year and making sure folks are protected and safety. And, you know, earlier this week I was watching CNN and, you know, they've got a split screen of coverage of two different mass shootings. That had just happened this week that we keep talking about. I don't know what the answer is. Obviously, it is not for me to say, but there has got to be a better way um, to to figure this out. Because I can't believe that we can have a conversation about a mass shooting and about the massive amount of of weapons and the size and the damage they can do.
0: I totally feel you. There was a day earlier this week where I was on air talking about one mass shooting. And then by the time I got to my desk when the show was off air, I pulled up Twitter and there was another one. I was like, okay. I All right. That's that's where we are. I'm going to stick with you, Brand. as more than 80 of the state's 102 sheriffs have refused to enforce this new law. Here is what Jeff Bullard, who's a sheriff of uh, downstate Jefferson County, here's what he had to say on your show, Chicago Tonight.
1: We gave our feedback through the legislative process and uh, knew that if it passed as it was written, that it would uh, not be something that we would be willing to enforce because our oath, first and foremost, is to uphold the state and national constitutions.
0: Now, Cook County Sheriff Tom Dart supports the ban, but sheriffs in counties near Chicago, so uh, DuPage, Kane, DeKalb, uh, McHenry, LaSalle, et cetera, they've also said they won't enforce the ban. So have we seen this kind of protest by sheriffs in other states that have enforced stricter gun laws? Brandis or Dave, if you want to weigh in? Not to my knowledge, Um Or maybe we have. I I honestly don't know.
2: But I guess I kind of question, like, can you do that as a sheriff? Can you just pick the law that you choose not to enforce? I mean, obviously, federal law would supersede state. But I mean, and, and Tom Dart has said, you know, it is not our job to determine, you know, the, the validity of this law is our job to enforce this law.
1: I mean, these sheriffs really ought to consider another job. I mean, and that is running for state legislator, because if they think that, you know, they get to pick and choose which laws that they should enforce, then then they're in the wrong line of work. I mean, being a legislator is where these decisions get made. And that's that's the foundation of our democracy. And so that that's that's the problem here. And I think, you know, I, I remember a time when these gun control debates would come up and and typically you would see police groups who would be supportive of the gun control position because they didn't want to go into situations where for example they were going into a you know a, a you know a situation a domestic abuse situation and running into somebody who was better armed than they are so it's a danger to the rank and file police officers on the street to have a lot of these high powered uh, weapons out there that can be used against them, mm-hmm. and that's what's what's so curious about what these sheriffs are doing. There's a real c- political component to it as well. These these sheriffs, for the most part, I mean, you mentioned you mentioned the suburbs, of course, but for the most part, they're from downstate. Downstate, we know, is heavily red, heavily Republican. This plays well to the peanut gallery in their communities, and that, that that's that's as simple as that. And it's not, uh, you you know, I I don't begrudge bun- gun owners one bit but it's it's a, it's a
0: and is there anything kind of, the governor can do though to enforce this law?
3: Well, I I think I think it's going to come out of the courts. I don't I don't think a governor can go tell a sheriff necessarily. And and, and what's one thing that's really sort of interesting to watch is the idea of discretion. And so that's where, and uh, you saw this with state's attorneys in the Safety Act, and now you're seeing it with sheriffs and the assault weapon ban. They're, they're saying, it's my discretion. Like, this is my use of my resources. I'm not going to start going into people's houses and say, hey, do you have this gun registered? And that's where they're trying to draw mm. this line. And that's what's, it'd be interesting to see how it plays out. Of course, none of these laws are even in place right now, so it's all political pandering until, you know, these laws are in place and we start to see what they actually do, because actions matter more than words. But that's where I find it. The most interesting thing is the difference between discretion of what we're going to enforce, how we're going to you know, use our resources yeah. and this law that they, it, to Dave's point, like personally disagree, they think uh, violates the state and or um, uh, federal constitution. Brandis?
0: I was just
2: going to say, what kind of precedent does it set um, that uh, that sheriffs can decide. and and you know, I hear John's point as well, and I can see them making that argument in court and I'll be curious to see what a judge says about it. but you know what kind of precedent does it set that you know this is the one law that I'm just not going to um, not going to enforce and it may be something you know, maybe there's a discretion about more obscure laws for stuff that almost never happens um, or you know, crimes that are almost never committed. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's kind of low level. I'm not going to go after it, but we are talking about real big guns. Um, and in the wake of the Highland Park shooting. So it's it's not like, you know, they're they're opting out of something that is like, you know, small amounts of, of weed or something. It's It's much yeah. more significant than that.
0: Jordan on YouTube says it is not up to sheriffs to decide what is unconstitutional. We have judges for that. And Chicago 675 says, when's the last time an Illinois proposed law made it to the U.S. Supreme Court? This ban is headed there for sure.
3: I guess we'll see. We'll, 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 <laughs> <laughs> One of those we'll have to wait and see. We'll be popping some yeah. corn. <laughs> I mean,
0: and we talked about DuPage County, John. Um, the sheriff there called for, uh, you know, said that the ban was a violation of the Second Amendment, as we know. But their their county board meeting on Tuesday, that was packed with people that were on both sides, right? Yeah,
3: yeah it's actually really fascinating. I used to cover the DuPage County. When I covered it, it was everybody was Republican. Now is majority Democrat. It's very fascinating just to see the, the change. And the sheriff there, James Mendrick, who is a Republican, the DuPage County Board Chair chairwoman, um, uh, Deb Conroy, she's Democrat. And so they want to censure him. Now, he's Separately elected They have no authority over him uh, But they want to censure him for his comments Because he is one of these sheriffs who's opposed And said that he thinks it's a violation of the Second Amendment Um, And as a result of that It's come into, you know uh, First Amendment rights and free speech And, you know, uh, and so What's going to happen is it's a little bit of a uh, just a debate of interesting political debate uh, between these elected officials. It's also really sort of telling how much has evolved in DuPage County specifically Mm -hmm. about the politics there. Um, But James Mendrick is, you know, essentially saying the same argument that a lot of these other uh, sheriffs have been saying, which he thinks it's a violation. And, you know, he's got his discretion.
1: Well, it's interesting, too, because in DuPage County, you you look at really what what is there for the sheriff to do on this issue? I mean, the sheriff is primarily responsible for providing security at the courthouse because in DuPage County, I mean, otherwise their jurisdiction is in unincorporated areas of DuPage County. And there are still pockets. But but for the most part. DuPage County is is governed from a law enforcement perspective from, from municipal police departments, yeah. not the sheriff. And so right. this is this is kind of like, again, a symbolic kind of thing right. more than anything else.
0: Well, Illinois Attorney General Kwame Raoul filed an appeal of a judge's rule uh, blocking Illinois' new law eliminating cash bail. Can you get us up to speed on that, Dave?
1: Well, yeah, this is a, a result of, of a decision in Kankakee County where a bunch of uh, litigation from, from different states' attorneys, as John had mentioned, uh, coalesced. And um, the, the judge there determined that, uh, that, that this uh, cashless bail that was part of the Safety Act and it was part of the, the gubernatorial campaign uh, that, that we, we just went through uh, was unconstitutional and Kwame Raul has has uh, has said uh, just with a filing yesterday that that the legislature did not overstep its authority that the legislature has over time routinely set different uh you know you know steps and rules and things such as that that the judiciary has to follow so there's nothing unusual here and and don't forget the whole point of cashless bail is is aimed to to you know basically bring some equity so that you know if you're poor and you get arrested for 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 some kind of lesser crime, that, and and you you have no money to post bail, that there is some means for you to get out, right. In the same manner that if if you were, uh, you know, some suburbanite that had had means to be able to get out and post bail, so
0: that's what this is all about. Interesting. Well, I want to turn to some other news on our radar, Brandis. Classes resumed at UIC on Monday. This is after faculty ended their week long strike. So, what does this new contract look like?
2: So uh, the union that represents the the tenure, non-tenure uh, faculty at UIC, uh, the, some of the, the, the major points that they say that they had gotten were um, a minimum salary uh, for those uh, faculty who are non-tenure of about $60,000, I think, and I think it's about 75000 for those who are tenure. Um, and, you know, I've covered this in the past when I was covering education, that, uh, you know, some of these professors with their master's degrees and maybe even PhDs they don't get paid as much as you think they do at, yeah. at a university. Um, and so they were really holding out for that. Um, one of the other uh, points that they were holding out for, in addition to, I think it's like a 17-point-something-something something percent raise um, over the next several years. Did they get it? They did get that okay. um, over, the, over some time. Obviously, right. it's not one big 17 percent raise. Wow. Um, that would be nice, wouldn't I'd, it? I'd go be I'm going to go become yeah. a teacher at UIC. <laughs>
0: right. Um,
2: <laughs> but uh, they also wanted more mental health supports for students, right? And this kind of ring. True, I think we're hearing it from a lot of educators uh, in the last few years for obvious reasons. Right, students have been juggling a lot uh, during the pandemic, and they feel like the university uh, needs to step up and and do more like to wrap around those students. We've heard this before mm-hmm. um, because CTU has asked uh, for a lot more wraparound services over years, obviously for for public school students as well.
0: Yeah. So was this a win overall? You say for for UIC faculty.
2: The faculty are, 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 are claiming a win. Yes. yes. Um, I think they, uh, withholding their labor, I think they would argue that, that it worked for them. Um, UIC in a statement did acknowledge though, like, you know, this was a, uh, we, everybody worked hard, a uh, long time coming because they had been negotiating over this contract since before April, which is when their contract expired last year. Um, but they also said, you know, there may be some tough financial choices that we're going to have to make in the future when we're going to have to come back to the faculty um, and have a chat. I don't yeah. I doubt that means reopening the contract. I don't know how they could get away with that. Right. Um, But uh, some concessions might have to be made in in a difficult uh, environment financially.
0: Let's move the conversation over to central Illinois, where a 32-year-old man's been charged with setting a Peoria Planned Parenthood on fire. This was nearly two weeks ago. What do we know about this person, John?
3: Uh, Well, his name's Tyler Massengill. Um, He um, basically... At first, said he didn't do it, and then he said, "Yeah, I did it." Um, and he basically, said he did it because an ex girlfriend uh, had an abortion uh, three years ago, um, and there it's still a little unclear as to you know what the trigger was, um, and she had had that uh, procedure at the Peoria. Uh, Planned Parenthood facility down in Peoria. So he was in uh, Alaska and he didn't approve of her getting an abortion. So right. that's essentially, you know, what we know about it. You know, this is coming after, obviously, after Roe v. Wade um, and most specifically, Illinois had the lame duck session and they passed a number of laws um, uh, to sort of cement and make it safer for people um for both those uh for doctors and the those uh those both getting and uh, receiving the procedure and so um that's sort of, you know, I think again, there's maybe some people guessing a little bit mm-hmm. about the timing, but it did come pretty soon after that. So, you know, it is it's coming at a time when the country is divided on a lot of things, and this is one of the bigger ones uh, is is abortion rights. Um, and you know, this person, you know, and and the Planned Parenthood um, facility is going to be closed for months, several months. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: Governor Pritzker wrote a letter to the National College Board this week. It involves Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis and the teaching of African-American history. Dave, what are the details?
1: Well, the crux of it is uh, DeSantis basically said that he, uh, he, he does not believe that school systems in Florida should be teaching advanced African-American studies courses that involve uh, segments on queer theory and abolishing prisons. And and it's another kind of front in all the culture war battles that Desantis has has really kind of brought front and center in in his flirtation with running for president, and and what's interesting about this is that you know Pritzker has responded, uh, he he's written a letter to the College Board and said look if you if you change your policies. Uh, on, on this type of teaching in order to suit what DeSantis did, then, you know, we're not going to allow that in Illinois. But there's an interesting kind of undercurrent to all of this, of course, and that's presidential politics in the year 2024. Mm-hmm. And, you know, DeSantis and, and Donald Trump are kind of perceived as, as uh, you know, potential nominees in the GOP side. Pritzker, of course, has been, you know, on again, off again, on again, off again, uh, kind of being mentioned as, as a potential candidate should Joe Biden not run. And so, so the fact that, uh, that, that uh, the governor is sort of picking a fight with DeSantis in a way, uh, it just, it, it's an interesting kind of look ahead about you know, what we may see in the future between these two.
0: Brandis, what do you think? A lot of talk here about what teachers can teach and how they can teach it. AP, African-American studies? <laughs> as well, I mean, and to
2: say that the college board is producing um, an AP African American history class that is somehow, and he has used this word, indoctrination, um, as if, you know, d- does that discredit? every other AP class that the college board has developed but suddenly this one isn't any good and i think you know he's likening it to um to critical race theory which you just talked about a little bit um a couple of segments ago right these are not the same thing not even not even a little bit and uh i i think it's i'm struggling here yeah.
0: <laughs> to be polite well i mean john both of these governors and here's what's also striking both of these governors they're rumored to have presidential aspirations so do you think the issue of of School curriculums could that end up being front and center in the twenty twenty four election
3: yeah, I think it's all in the mix as you know as Dave pointed out like this is the cultural wars. um you've you had um uh, Politico I believe put up deSantis's um uh inaugural speech and Pritzkers to compare the the two and pritzker's people loved it um I think DeSantis's people probably loved it too, but the point is these two are 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 brewing for a fight on a political and there and and DeSantis has has absolutely made uh critical race theory and i don't know what they teach in florida uh i don't pretend to be an expert on that but critical race theory in illinois i'm still waiting for somebody to show me a school where it's actually taught um in illinois and so anyhow these are all the issues that are just brewing on this and Mm -hmm. you've got and pritzker absolutely wants to uh, I don't think he's going to try to push Biden out of the way. But yeah. but if there's, if there's a discussion of uh, other than Biden, he wants to be part of that discussion.
0: Well, it looks like opinions are split on YouTube. I've got uh, mm-hmm. Olden in the way says, I'm glad I don't live in Florida. And Chicago 675 says, I'm not saying DeSantis is right, but I don't think he is 100 percent wrong.
1: Well, I mean, it's an interesting kind of debate. You know, uh, Republicans traditionally have been all for local control, which you know presumably would put questions like this in the hands of local school boards. But but here, you know, it's it's a debate over whether the state should be allowed to sweep in and, and kind of dictate what what's doing. And of course, there there are plenty of examples here in Illinois even where that happens. But but uh, you know, school school boards have become kind of this front in our culture wars mm-hmm. that we're experiencing. And I always used to think that if I was going ever going to run for office, which I'm not, school boards would be the place I would, would want to like go. you like to make any announcements? You know?
0: no. <laughs> is but today the day, Dave? <laughs> no, today is not
1: the day. But it's like it's, it's the, the place where you feel like you could maybe make the most difference in people's lives, you know, helping kids. But but instead of helping kids, we're, we're sort of all, you know, taking these, these, honestly, I hate to say it, stupid political fights and, 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 and injecting them into our education system. And, and and public schools are all about reading, writing, and arithmetic, and and good good socializing, and and all of those things. At
0: least they were once upon a
2: time. Once upon a time. Well, and to that listener's point, you know, if Desantis is not wrong, maybe there are some parts that he's not wrong about, right? Like, should we be teaching about abolishing prisons in to to students in school? Maybe we should be teaching them about all sorts of ideas, and that's obviously not for me to decide. But the well, point is, he hasn't seen the curriculum. Well, let me give you, you another specific. Them, Don't
0: teach this. Another comments just come in on YouTube that all. Also is on the, the side of uh, DeSantis not being 100 percent wrong. Uh, Michael Marsh says uh, Ron DeSantis was right about the AP course. Uh, an AP course on black history shouldn't involve woke politics.
2: <sighs> and and <laughs> who's who's who defines woke politics, right? Like, what does that even mean? What does that even mean, right? And I think all of us— Get, we could all talk about I it, mean, right? We, we, we can talk sense, about this all day. But I yeah. suspect that is not what the College Board came up with if they're going to teach an AP African American History class, because there's actually history that can yeah, be taught. Yeah, there is right? African American history, history the out that. there.
3: I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't written. exactly know day in and day out what's being taught in the Africa, But there's no denying there is African American history that is very specific, and it's actually like really important for everybody to learn.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's all take a deep breath. And move on to sports. <laughs> Newly signed White Sox pitcher Mike Clevenger is facing allegations of domestic violence and child abuse. What do we know at this point, John?
3: Uh, we don't know a lot. Um, it's it's an investigation by the by MLB. Um, it is it, to you know, I don't we don't know when it's going to finish or what, but it's dealing with the mother of his ten month old daughter, um, and the. The problem for the White Sox is, uh, you know, is, I mean, it's a, there's a legal issue here, I think, and a, and a job issue for, for Mike Clevenger is also a PR issue for the White Sox. He was, I think, the first major uh, um, free agent signing that they had. It's uh, so the White Sox. They need some more pitching. Um, he was, you know, considered like, okay, he might be middle to bottom of the rotation and now you know you have Paul Sullivan with the Chicago Tribune saying the White Sox just cut you know um cut him and don't not even wait for the end of the investigation um this is coming after uh there's a high profile um accusations uh, regarding a Dodgers pitcher former uh Cleveland pitcher um Trevor Bauer where he was just cut by the Dodgers and nobody's picked him up yet um and it was it was I think there were more details in the Trevor Bauer incident um, that forced the Dodgers to, after he was suspended for more than a year, to just say, we're done with you. Yeah. Um, And nobody's picked up uh, Bauer yet. So this is a brewing thing. Uh, The White Sox haven't really said much other than they're participating and watching the MLB investigation.
0: All right, Brandis, NASCAR announced this week, in addition to race cars coming to Grant Park over the Fourth of July weekend, some big name musicians will also be here so what's the NASCAR concert lineup looking like?
2: Okay, so I'm clearly an expert on the, the NASCAR Chicago you street race. You are Greece. my NASCAR <laughs> correspondent. Yep, and my sources, my sources are telling me,
1: uh,
2: <laughs> <laughs> as you can see behind me.
1: Will you identify those sources? <laughs> I,
2: I will never name a source <laughs> like a good journalist. Um, the We've got the Chainsmokers. We've got Miranda Lambert, uh, the Black Crows, Charlie Crockett. Um, I think they like those are performing over the course of the, the weekend, July 1st and 2nd, so... I'm really curious to see how they're going to fit all that in down there. Obviously, there's there's room for it, but that's that's a lot of action.
0: You going to go check it out, John? Uh, no, no. that's a no. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. I, it's very loud. NASCAR is very
3: loud. It is loud. It is loud. <laughs> I'm getting old.
0: All right, some sad news, folks. Beloved XRT radio personality Lynn Bramer died last weekend. What are your thoughts on his legacy here in Chicago, Dave?
1: Oh, he was a beloved figure, and and. Uh, you know, he was the voice that many people woke up to day in and day out, and he was really a poet. Um, you, you know, uh, people who tuned over uh, on the dial a little bit to the right uh, at WXRT heard him, uh, you know, talk on uh, his, his segments of Lens Bin. I mean, I, I was listening to one the other day called, uh, you know, Why Does Time Go So Fast? And it was such a thoughtful kind of uh, essay yeah. about about just— Everything imaginable. He, he was just a, a really he was known for that. a brilliant guy. And, I you know, you know it's, it, there are a million Lynn Bramer stories in this town because, you know, you, all you have to do is go to social media and you see that he he did selfies with anybody who asked. And, and they look genuine. And, you know, I, I had a I think it was back in 2014. I had a, a situation over at the Sun-Times. And, and, you know, within a short period of time, like he was he had kind of reached out and, and we became oddly words with friends partners. And, <laughs> and, so, and so like. Oh, and I and love the thing, that. And, and That's the thing about uh, words with friends was that he he would smoke me most times. And it was like, how is this radio guy smoking a writer? Right. <laughs> and it's like, it was quite well. And my, my, I, you know, there are many, many more people in this Aww. town who are closer friends with him. And, but, but at this, you know, I, I know when he went on the air in November, you know, and he, he, it, it was important for him to you know, basically reconnect with his listeners. And, and you know, it was such a, a brilliant performance where, you know, his voice was weakened, but he brought that same magic back. Yeah. You know, I sent him a note on the, on the Words with Friends a little Did text you? thread, and I said, great show. And, and what he said in response was, I tried, you know, and it was such a, uh, you know, a heartfelt kind of moment.
0: And he was known for his line, uh, your best friend in the whole world.
1: And he was. He was that to, to all of Chicago. We just, you know, we're truly all going to miss that man.
0: Yeah. Rest in peace, Lynn. Uh, Hometown band Fallout Boy. uh, They played a a very rare and sold out show to celebrate the Metro's 40th anniversary celebration. Any of you have any memorable Metro moments that you want to (laughs) share? Full disclosure, I've never been. We'll go together. You've never (laughs) been either. (laughs) either. (laughs) You've never been either. Okay, so we're looking at you, gentlemen.
3: Uh, I think I'm the veteran here for uh, going to Metro. <laughs> you are the veteran. Seen, I've probably seen it. <laughs> How many times have you been, John? Uh, you know, ballpark. It's over 50, around uh, maybe 100. So You've I've seen, seen a lot of shows. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's you know, it is to uh, to what we were just talking about, Lynn Bramer. I think I've seen him, saw him in a few shows at, at Metro uh, time, time and again. Uh, I was starting to go there. So it's 40th anniversary. Uh, I started going there in high school. Um, one of my first shows was a Chicago punk band, Naked Reagan. They played there all the time. Okay. And it was seeing that as the first time, you know, as a kid. From the city, but you know, a little bit on the outskirts of the city and seeing a mosh pit for the first time (laughs) at Metro is an experience you will never forget. So, everybody, so it was um, saw Smashing Pumpkins there several times. I regret missing Nirvana before they blew up, they played there, and people who went to that show said it was phenomenal. So, it's just yeah, it's been one of these places that is really been sort of like if you get there. It's where you go, where yeah. you're at just before you sort of take off well, if for those I, bands. Glad
0: I too. came to you first. This is yeah. in your wheelhouse. Apparently. <laughs> uh, Dave, memories?
3: Well,
1: I mean, you know, REM is another one that, that yeah. formed there, right? You know, before right as they were coming out of Athens, Georgia, and, and nobody in Chicago knew who they were. And, and but that was, you
0: knew who they were.
1: Well, I knew who they were, and I wished I would have gone there. I mean, oh. I, think, <laughs> I, I wished I would have seen oh, them no, when, that I was, like, when I was there. But, but the I, story. You know, <laughs> missed opportunity. Missed opportunity basically. there. But I I think the you, you know I parenting in my case interfered with my ability to go to a lot of shows at that it's stage the in life. Fault, right, it's kids' Always fault. always I, the, always I,
0: the kids. I remember going there in the late '80s. <laughs> Just though. kidding.
1: Seeing Love somebody you. called uh, Intuanua, which uh, an Irish band. I've I, I haven't heard much from them since then. But but <laughs> it, it, a beautiful venue. Yeah, and it's, it's a it's a real institution for Chicago.
0: Forty years. Well, you know, I want to squeeze in before we go mm-hmm. some time here, Brandis, because I, I got to check in. It's been. A heck of a week over at Chicago Tonight. Big changes. You're telling me. Yeah. (laughs) Are you Are you awake right now? Because you.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. For now, you're doing a later show. Yeah, I've chugged some some coffee today. Um, Yeah, we moved to. This is our first week. uh, Closing out the first week at ten o'clock, and we're at ten o'clock tonight too, guys. I know, like a lot of folks were not used to having uh, like a, a Chicago Tonight day of news cast. Uh, on Fridays, because obviously we have the weekend review at seven on Fridays. Paris yeah. is still live at seven tonight doing the weekend review. I think we'll see some familiar
0: faces there. Yeah, maybe. Um, but mm-hmm. then <laughs>
2: don't tune in.
0: <laughs> I'll have your coffee ready. Yeah, uh, that's right. You don't like coffee. I'll get you. Something. No, it's hot chocolate, people. It's hot chocolate. You're th- it's <laughs> <sleep>. um... <laughs> so, so let's be clear. So yes. you're on Monday through Friday at Monday ten. Monday through Friday at ten, and you also still in have in the weekend review on Fridays at have, seven. Absolutely, and Black voices and Latino voices Saturdays at six and six thirty. Can't forget those. Nope. Brand is Friedman, co-anchor and correspondent of WTTW Chicago Tonight, John Chase, deputy Metro editor for the Chicago Tribune and WBEZ state politics reporter Dave McKinney. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Thank you. you episode of reset was produced by andrea guffman and it was edited by andrew merriweather if you're feeling jealous of those youtube watchers who have their comments and questions read live by me well guess what you could be one of them tune into our show live at noon every friday on youtube and be part of the conversation that's all for reset i'm sasha ann simons have a great weekend